What? <laughs> yeah. Is Man, that the intro? Make that would be the greatest intro ever uh, if it was if it was street legal. Um. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for reading sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin State's Indy West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 14th. Um, yeah, never a dull moment um, <laughs> these days uh, around um, Virginia sports. Um, Virginia's got a huge basketball game in a couple days um, against Houston. Um, the highest-rated non-conference opponent to come into Charlottesville, perhaps ever. Um, hashtag, I did my research. Um, and in addition to that, there's obviously the the Beekman injury and sort of where he is or isn't in terms of his rehab and um, his availability. And at the same time, man, there's enough football topics to choke a horse, right? Um, they, they need to replace an offensive line coach. They need to replace a lot of different players. Guys are going in the portal. Guys coming out of the portal. Guys are committing. Um, they, you know, the early signing day is next Wednesday. So there's there's a lot on the table, which we are no doubt going to discuss. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First in Fishersville, the board moderator du jour himself. One David Spence is on the program. How's it going, my friend? Uh, it's pretty cold up here, man. Um, got some ice starting to fall. It's going to be an interesting night. And um, I am going to take however long we're recording um, that long of a break from social media investigation. So that'll be a nice relaxation on my my Twitter time. Uh, who days on the board at who days on Twitter. And in Charlottesville, editor-in-chief Justin Ferber is also on this year program. How's it going, my dude? Uh, pretty good. I know we'll get into it, but are you guys sold on musket? <laughs> Nothing? Okay, I was Crickets? taking a drink. No, I was taking a drink of water. I, was muted, I, I figured. Sorry. I, I I figured. Okay, I normally the way this works is you make a joke, and I thought I had a second, so I'm taking a drink of water, and my brain, I, my brain like blue screen for a second, and then it clicked it's a in. Joke to, for an audience of one. Yeah, that's exactly that's Damon, there's one, Damon Dillman. Yeah, there's one person who is going to get that joke, and um, you know, he's probably not actually going to listen to the podcast, but that's yeah, okay. No chance. Um, Cavs Corner is on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner, great place for the game updates, content items, and occasional banter. Although I don't think you actually gave your Twitter handle now to think about it, but that's fine. Um, th- th- those people are all going to Macedon anyway. Um, I-, I mean, where do we want to start? Um, I-, I think the most consequential thing that happened over the last week for-, for Virginia football probably is the offensive line job opening up, but you also could make an argument that, that uh, Musket picking uh, Virginia and coming back home um, – is a fairly substantial um, situation. But at the same time, Nick Jackson goes into the portal, um, you know, which, hey, kudos to David Spence for breaking that one. I mean, my dude, like, that was some, that was, that was fun. It, Dave's all texting and he's all like, hey, this is going to, you know, this is going to grow. And like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I did appreciate that he had one typo, so he had to delete it and 
put it back yeah, out there. That's that's crazy. that's a that's how you that's how you know you you've you've made it right is the is, is that you have something that you know that? you have something that you know you want people to see right yeah. so you delete it really quick so you can fix it because you don't want to have to do it once it's got like well, also also dave got a taste of brad franklin editor with the lowercase a and the uva <laughs> listen all right look look the look hey um, i've been doing it though i mean yeah, you have you absolutely have oh what's funny is now my phone have. does it automatically so we're good yeah, oh, if yeah, I could 100%. just get Ferber to if I could get Ferber to do uh, three point with the number three and a hyphen point, man, I can do that. Uh, that would be that would be very appreciated. Uh, every what's really funny is every once in a while when you'll mention two point field or field goal percentage or something, you'll you'll put a number two and and like literally as I'm as I'm editing, I'll see it and I'm like, <sighs> you know, like I like I'm I'm almost like in those moments I'm almost positive you're doing it on purpose just to mess. It's with also me. hard for me too because in the in the business world, in my secret day job, mm-hmm. I work for a company that has a very specific writing style. Yeah, I got you. You know, I get you. And they, the, you um, know, you have to like bold numbers and stuff. And now I'm like doing it with my cast corner stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? It took me 20 years to stop doing double spaces after a period. So, you know, oh, that's, yeah, that's clutch. Ferber also used typewriter. to do this thing where he would try to sneak stuff in there, like throw game. Like he would, he, every once in a while, he would just basically put something in there to make sure I wasn't like just, you know, pasting it into the CMS. Right. Um, and so every once in a while now, I'm not really sure. You if always actually, catch it though. I would I, say that. But, but, it, but at some point I'm going to miss one, you know, and all of a sudden it's going to be like the ACC, uh, media guide, um, that year, you know, there have been, be, there have been, yeah, I forgot about that. There have been some where I've been like, should I put this in there? And I'm like, no, because it's too big of a risk. If it actually goes out, that's like, I'm, that, not, yeah, that's I'm not letting this, I'm not letting this go out. Cause you know, if it ends up on our site, it might end up somewhere else. Um, do you want to, this is a nice punchline. <laughs> I'm trying my brain. I'm trying to retrace where I was before we got off on this tangent. Okay. Yes. Um, the multitudes of, uh, football topics. Um, I, I, I mean, like it's hard to pick just one. That's the top one. Um, obviously Nick Jackson going into the portal is something that, you know, the three of us had, had discussed. I don't think that that was necessarily one that a lot of folks on the outside sort of saw coming. And frankly, I, I didn't really know, you might, I didn't have a, a lot of confidence that that thing would actually take off. Um, as I wrote in my, in that column the other day, like more power to anybody who, you know, wants to take the opportunity to do whatever thing it is that they want to do. Right. Um, you know, Nick wants to go and he wants to experience something with that one year, you know, what more power to him. Um, you know, for, for Virginia's purposes, if he's going to play another year of college football, you, you, you want him to be on your roster, right? The dude is incredibly talented. He understands so much about what you want the guy in that specific spot to understand. He, he's a natural at that position. He, he's racked up tackles for three seasons. He's a three time, you know, all ACC linebacker for a reason. Um, and I also think too, like it was clear he fit what Rosinski and his folks wanted to do in the current scheme as well. So I mean, it's hard to lose a dude that talented. And certainly, you know, do I hope that he comes back? Absolutely, I do. Do I think it's you know that's a ruin the column? Do I think it's likely? Nah, I don't. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a tough blow for UVA in the sense that like you want if you can have a guy that talented on your roster, you want him there. And so it's tough to lose him. Um, but beyond that. Certainly, the two J news was was the piece that um, I thought was probably the most consequential. Dave, what's the biggest story of all the different 
things that happened in the last few days? What's the what's the one that stands out to you the most? Either you know, good or bad. What's what's yeah. the, what's the big one? I mean, losing Nick. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm biased on that one, but you know, he, he's the quarterback of the defense. You know, already, you already lost the quarterback of the offense who didn't have a great year, but Nick, as a quarterback of the defense, had a spectacular year, and the defense did too. Um, and you know, look, he's he's Mister UVA. Like, you know, if you've ever had a chance to meet Nick, he he is like everything you want a UVA player to be. So, um, you know, it's painful to see him. You know, see him potentially leave Virginia. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's his right. He's been through a lot here. Yeah, I think we I think we talked about it last week. But you know, these players have been through COVID plus the tragedy, um, coaching change. There's been a lot's going on. So um, hopefully, he'll find whatever makes him happy whether it's UVA or, or elsewhere, because he'll certainly have plenty of opportunity. Um, and then, you know, I'd say, look, losing 2J is not a small thing. Um, and, and I don't want to diminish it too much, but you know, I think it's a lesser thing than, than losing Nick Jackson, especially for next year. Um, yeah, I think 2J's biggest role to me, like, you know, he's, he's brought in some players, um, Came you know, on this podcast. Did the podcast. <laughs> he's, he's a great guy. Um, but I mean, I don't know if he was a dominant offensive line coach. Um, and he's never really coached an offense, offensive line in this scheme. Um, and he wasn't one of Tony's guys. So, you know, it, it, it's the timing isn't good right before signing day and going to a school we play next year. Um, but I think it's something you can, you know, gives Des and, Tony a chance to pick the guy they wanted to pick, um, potentially the guy they wanted to pick before they kept 2J, but now they definitely have a chance. So, yeah, I'd still say Nick. Um, as far as good news, it's Musket. Yeah. Ferber, before I give you a, a chance to answer that same question, um, I do want to I want to talk about sort of the 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 elephant in the room of of the 2J decision here, right? And I'm going to do this because I, I don't know if my two co-hosts will feel comfortable wading into these waters without first, you know, somebody else doing it. And you know what? Typically on the podcast, I'm the one that says the the, the most outlandish crap. Um, so, like, I think we need to separate two things. One, for me, is that Tuesday, the person, I mean, he's an incredible dude. He was always great to work with. He, he was very um, kind to, to give his time, certainly uh, came on the podcast, and I thought did an incredible job. I, I think his personality and his personal skills – really shined. I think that was one of the things that helped him a great deal, whether he was talking to media, you know, players, recruits, parents, what have you. I think the flip side of that is the decision that he made to follow a nigh, given what I know about sort of the last few years of, of their um, working relationship doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense to me because I'm not the one doing it. Right. But it doesn't make any sense to me that that would be the, the route he would take. Um, you know, more power to him. I, I do wish him well. Um, you know, I, I think it's, a, a, like I said, an interesting um, decision to make and an interesting path to follow. But he's, you know, he's got to do what's right for him. And if that's what he thought was right for him, then, then like I said, um, best of luck to him. I also think that it's fair to look at his record now that, that his record has, you know, been completed and say, like, whether whether there were other factors at play as to why the offensive linemen left or not, 
the bottom line is is that he's the he was the common denominator between the group that was there and the group that was no longer there and the group that was there this year. And I think it's fair to say that there was a lot of um, growing pains um, up front and and for the offense as a whole. And so I think that whether it's completely earned or not, he gets tagged with the offensive, you know, at least some of the offensive issues that we've seen. And so it does make you wonder, okay, um, now in the midst of the offense trying to replace its quarterback, replace a bunch of wide receivers, um, you know, they're also going to have to replace a coach that in some ways could be a good thing, right? Somebody who, um, cause you know, at the end of the day, like 2G had not coached in the system before. And maybe that was, maybe that experience honestly could be what led him to, 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 to Raleigh. Um, but I just think that, you know, there's, there are a lot of ways to look at this. Um, this is an opportunity for Tony Elliott, for Des Kitchings, um, Carla Williams to to put to essentially have an influx of whether it's talent, whether it's um, recruiting prowess, whether it's experience, all of the above on the staff in a way that I think we all agree the staff needs. Right. The offensive line has to be better. Um, not I'm not saying that based on just what we saw last year. I just mean that in general. Two, I think as the recruiting coordinator, this recruiting class is not exactly one of UVA's banner groups, right? And I don't mean that in any sort of negative way. I'm just being sort of real about where the the sort of um, you, could, you you have to scroll down a few pages to find them in the team rankings. So yeah, and I mean, and and it's and I, and I understand that rankings are not the end all be all, and I also understand there's a lot that goes into this. Again, this is a nuanced topic, right? But at the end of the day, coaching is a results based business, right? It is a results based um, scenario, and as the recruiting coordinator for a recruiting class that to this point, you know, left a lot to be desired, and certainly was not the influx of talent that a new coaching staff would need um, in that first, you know, that first full cycle. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's understandable that there are those out there, I think, who look at this as maybe an opportunity for Virginia as opposed to, you know, a death knell, so to speak, right? Now, all of that being said, any sort of upheaval in your coaching staff comes with some, some, some bad stuff, right? Some, some negatives, even if there are some positives, there are going to be some negatives, which is you got to get somebody up and running, right? Now you got players who have to learn a new style of, you know, coaching or whatever, you know, a new personality. And obviously that coach needs to learn the players. Um, so it's, it, there is a lot that comes with that, but I think it's fair to look across the board and say, you know, we, again, nuances is important. Um, context is important. Tuesday's a hell of a dude, and um, I do wish him nothing but the best. Even though, given what I've experienced with him, I, I, I personally, I just it would it would be hard for me to do that. But you know what? Like, if that's the way he wanted to do it, that's the way he wants to do it. Um, but I also think you're fair to look at the record and 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 come to the conclusion that you come to. Now, all that being said, Ferber, what are your thoughts on 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 the last few you know days, last week, uh, and these various um, consequential developments yeah um i'll touch on 2j first um and i'm gonna use a word brad that you're gonna really like i don't think him leaving is necessarily some sort of referendum on <laughs> gotta tell that story on everything that's happening yeah um 
sometimes Brad has to ask, ask for help with his words. <laughs> um, no, uh, I mean, you can look at this. This is one of those situations. It's like a Rorschach test, right? It's like you can look at this however you want to see it. If you want to see this as like, you know, people abandoning ship after one year, like, cool. Like, you could make that case. Um, you know, I don't know what's in people's hearts and minds. Like you mentioned, you know, the the connection with Anai, but um, obviously he could have been like, I'm cool here, you know. So obviously there was something that drew him to leave, whether it was he wanted to leave or he saw something he really liked in Raleigh or money, you know, whatever it is. Any of those reasons doesn't matter. But yeah, I kind of second what you said. Good ambassador to the program or for the program, um, active on social media. Um basically the only coach on the staff that was this year, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't want to shortchange anybody, but you know what I mean? Like he's definitely out there the most. Um, and yeah, I mean the offensive lines, I was probably the most critical of two J in the first half of the Bronco era. I was, I, I got on this very podcast and at one point was like, we keep talking about the offensive line, being like a strength this year because they're bringing guys back. Like, when's that going to happen? Cause it's not happening. Um, I think when Perkins was here as a quarterback, they were able to kind of like let him do his thing and and they protected him enough most of the time to where they could score points. And then, you know, they had a, a pretty decent year last year um, creating time, but obviously still give up a lot of sacks and they couldn't run the ball. They never really ran the ball well with the running backs, except for the one Jordan Ellis year. Um, Obviously, they try to be more balanced this year and things just didn't work. But obviously, he had a pretty big job, you know, taking a, an offensive line that was completely decimated by transfers um, and try to, like, put something together. But, yeah, I mean, I think he's a fine coach. Um, I, I think he'll do OK at, at NC State. I'm sure he will. Like, I think UVA can go out and get a different offensive line coach. Um, I hope that, you know, Tony does his due diligence to pick somebody good because, they could certainly use somebody on this staff that can recruit to, um, you know, whatever it takes. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes, but, uh, you know, it's a long off season. I, th I think something I said on the board, you know, on Sunday when we kind of teased that this might be happening, um, was that these sorts of things are more commonplace around the country, like than it has been at UVA. So like, I think UVA fans are used to just rolling the same coaching staff over to the next year, unless the coach gets fired. Right. Um, Bronco had very little turnover. Ralph and McNeil left after the first year. And I think Soto left after three years or so, maybe four. Um, and that was it. Right. I mean, I don't think anybody else left. Yeah. Um, so, I mean like, and, and, you know, like Mike staff had turnover forced turnover, um, but like, you know, coaches like North Carolina just lost their offensive coordinator to like a, a pretty lateral move, I would say, um, and you know, stuff like that. I mean, that happened. Yeah, their offensive line coach. Yeah. And their offensive line coach went with them. Right. So, I mean, like that kind of stuff happens. Syracuse just lost their offensive coordinator. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say like, oh, this is some sort of like, you know, sign that everything's going bad, you know, now, I mean, like that was one of the guys you retained and, you have two more that you retained and, and you hope that things are going well with them. Um, but like, you know, also it's, there's a, there's a, certainly a, a sense of like the head coach runs the program and things sort of flow down from there. And it's like, if you're maybe retained or whatever it might be, like sometimes it's just not a natural fit for whatever reason. And I'm not trying to read minds, but you know, 
it's sometimes guys are like, yeah, I thought I would give it a shot. Same with players, you know, maybe even quarterbacks. It's like, I'm going to give this a shot. And then it's just not working out, you know? Um, speaking of quarterbacks, I think the, the musket addition is, um, exciting. You know, when, when I first heard the offer went out, I was like Monmouth, like, all right. And then I had to kind of put that bias aside when I looked at, you know, his film that's on YouTube, what's out there. Because he can he can play. I mean, like he can make tough throws. He can make deep throws. He moves well in the pocket. He has a good quick release. The ball comes out hot. He can he can run around a little bit. He's got some swag. Um, you know, he's a really productive player. Um, and until the end of this past season, he hadn't had any injuries. So, um, you know, I think he's a he's a really intriguing addition. I like the decisiveness too to just go out, get the offer, get him down to Charlottesville, get him committed not have to worry about it. Right. Um, and, and you can kind of move forward. I can't guarantee you that he's going to come in and be great, but because you know, it is a big step up in competition, but his tools translate. He has a, a power five caliber arm. He has power five traits. Um, you know, just looking at him play against other competition. Like you have to remember his offensive line is also a FCS line and his receivers are FCS receivers. So he's going to get to play with better talent too. Um, I'm excited about that one. Really excited about the Malik Washington edition. Um, he's a very solid player and very productive. Um, you know, when you go out in the transfer portal, it used to be the case that you're kind of taking a chance on a guy that maybe wasn't productive or had injuries or is, you know, like bouncing around for some other reason. This, this is just a good football player. He had 61 catches this year in a, in an offense that couldn't really throw the ball very much. Um, really front runner to be your guy next year. Cause you've been on him for. Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as he was in the portal and I was just looking at receivers, I was like, this is what they need. Right. He's kind of like a cross between. um, Again, like, you know, you can't guarantee production. He's kind of like a cross for me between like Billy Kemp and Alameda Zacchaeus um, because he can do some stuff like, you know, horizontally at the line of scrimmage, jets, things like that. But he can also go across the middle, make tough, tough catches. Um, So I think that's just a solid addition and a guy that you can just plug and play. And then, of course, they went out and got an offensive lineman and Dejon Parker. So, and I, I don't know how that's going to go, just because obviously his offensive line coach left like the same day that he committed. Um, and you hope that you can kind of keep him in the fold, but definitely like a solid addition. And they're just kind of getting started. I mean, they're still offering guys in the portal, trying to get guys to Charlottesville, visiting players. So, um, you know, the high school recruiting hasn't been maybe what we had hoped or what we you know like expected so far, and and maybe that'll get turned around in twenty twenty four. But it's it's hard not to be like somewhat optimistic about how their transfer portal recruiting is going. Yeah, I want to just add one thing on two J before we leave that subject. Um, you know, obviously he he was a part of identifying some talent that became good um, and was a part of that process. You can't like you know say say he wasn't good at his job, but I, I think the most critical role he had last year was, as Brad alluded to, being the you know, when your team's not doing well and you're so you're no one on your staff is really active on social media, there's a lot of one way complaining without any, you know, positive news. And 2J was kind of that buffer there. Um, heck, even back to when Tony took the job, you know, 2J was doing those spaces and stuff. And, you know, he did a great job, I think, of engaging the fans. So someone on the staff's going to have to take that role because, like it or not, that's a part of, you know, a part of, uh, sports these days now wins are more important but that role has got to be made up for and then as far as the you know the recruiting part of it 
I think this whole year was a little weird on the recruiting. Um, you know, Bronco wasn't doing well in the state of Virginia. And I think you have to look at where Tony came from. He was recruiting much differently than you do, you know, Clemson, basically, if they offer you, they get you. So it's a much different animal. So it, I'm not surprised it didn't turn out well, um, but they've got to fix that. A couple of quick thoughts on that. One, um, to your point, Dave, just a second ago, it actually reminds me a little bit, because remember when Bronco and his folks came, they were almost like positive that they would be able to get kids simply because they were used, what they were used to was guys who, you know, for for lack of a description, guys who were, were going to be um, potential um, whether they are Mormon kids, whether they, they were familiar with Mormon um, coaches with um, the religion itself, what have you, um, and that they would be guys who would be uh, interested in BYU, right? Bronco used to use the word selected a lot. He didn't he didn't use recruited as much at first. He used selected. And so they were thinking like, oh, we're going to be in the ACC, and we also were, it's going to be the University of Virginia, so the, the degree is going to matter a lot. We're just going to select better players. And what he found was that he actually had to recruit differently. And I think maybe to some extent in, in some comparison, because of Tony's background, Tony, Tony's used to selecting, right? Clemson goes out, his, you know, his, you know, the last few years at least, they go out. They offer the guy they like. Um, typically, they get that guy. They're definitely and they be also offer slower. Right. There are going to be situations where maybe they are going against an Alabama or you know, insert name of SEC team here. But more often than not, Clemson has recruited at a very high level, and so I think on some level it would make a lot of sense if they had similar mindsets and you know had similar sort of eye opening um, sort of awakenings. Um, the other thing I want to mention is something Dave has said several times off air to Ferber and I, um, as we've talked about various things, the, the shift in how important recruiting traditional recruiting is versus transfer portal recruiting. Now, maybe Dave mentioned this at some point on a podcast. And if so, you know, I'll refer to that first, but I, I want to give him his flowers here because this has kind of changed, not necessarily changed per se, but definitely has, has become the new frame by which I think about this. But at the end of that column I referenced earlier, I, I say something about, you know, there's a conversation to be had about the balance between high school recruiting and traditional, you know, that traditional model and what you get from the transfer portal. But there's no doubt, I think, right now that the transfer portal recruiting, and this is the point that Dave has kind of bestowed the, the lamp, the light bulb that went off in my, uh, over my head for the la- forever since then. Like, transfer portal recruiting is so much more important because, like, the unless you are going to get a kid at a very spe- in a very specific situation, right? So this is a really physical wide receiver who you can plug in right away and he can play. Or he's a DB that you can plug in and play. But more often than not, there are going to be very few kids who are going to come in in their true freshman season and make a significant impact on the trajectory of your program. But a transfer can come in and have a significant impact on the trajectory of your program. It's just different, and and that's the reality of the situation. Now, you can't restock your entire team with transfers, right? Nobody in, in America, no matter how many guys they lose to the portal, is going to be able to go out and get 30 dudes in the portal, right, and revolutionize their program through the portal. That That's not how you do it. The way you do it is you have the other dudes around them, and then you find – the missing pieces in the portal. 
Um, so traditional recruiting absolutely has its place. You can't just take a um, take a flyer on all these kids that you recruit from high schools because you do need those uh, uh, you know a bunch of those dudes to um, develop. You need them to mature in your program. You need them to be there when you get those transfer dudes that are going to tra- you know change that trajectory. And let's be real about it. Right now, Virginia needs some real trajectory changing. Um, it needs a lot um, in the big scheme of things. Um, and it, it certainly seems like to me that transfer recruiting has become the ways that you do, um, that you, you make a lot of hay, right? Certainly the, the traditional recruiting is how you bring dudes in and sort of stock the pond. But the transfer guys are the ones who are going to really get you you know, to, to kind of move up a rung on that that ladder, so to speak. Um, one last transfer thing. Transfer ins versus transfer outs. True. Um, yeah. One other thing real quick on 2J. I, I think that the idea of like sort of being like the ambassador, I think that's a really, really well said point. Because like, man, if you remember back to when Broncos guys were all over Twitter, um, there was a there was palpable sort of vibes, right? Um, and that, that really fell off a cliff for what I think are obvious reasons this year, you know, him doing those spaces and stuff like it, it allowed not only for fans to sort of see inside, but it also, it gave Virginia kind of a, uh, of an identity a little bit right on the outside um, as opposed to just the way it looked from, you know, the inside. And I do think that somebody, it would be, it would be in Virginia's best interest for, for one, for guys to be out there more often. You know, I'm not saying you got to be, um, somebody you're not, but like daily quotes of affirmation and stuff. Like, I mean, that's one way to do it, but you know, interacting with people and, you know, being excited to be the places you go and stuff that, that stuff does can convey, you know, good vibes and good, you know, good mojo uh, to fans and certainly does kind of keep you engaged when you, when you're having to stay sort of um, away from the, uh, from the fold, so to speak, because you can't, you know, there are no games to attend. Right. Um, But I also think that like, it helps your your identity or or at least a perception of your program when you know you do have somebody out there whether that's the head coach whether those are assistant coaches or what have you so i do hope that somebody sort of takes that up um now i want to talk a little bit about musket cuz i do think he to ferber's point i think he's a great fit for what they what they need dave the rifle <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm not trying to make it a thing. No, don't worry. Um, I'm sure somebody else will. Musket's um, right there in the name, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, seriously. Yeah, you don't need anything else. The cliche is already there. You, 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 you've already, uh, you've been very efficient with the characters that you need to make the joke, right? Um, but Dave, in the big scheme of things, like, do you is this your QB one next year? What's your, what's your, what's your vibe? What's your feeling? Um, do you think that they go out and get somebody else too? What do you think? <sighs> I mean, my guess is you still keep looking. I mean, you know, if a proven power five guy <laughs> wants to come, I mean, I think you, you'll probably still talk to him. But um, I think Musket has the tools to be QB1. And, you know, I don't know what Jay Wolfock's plans are, and I don't think any of us do yet. Um, but we assume he's not giving up baseball, right? Like, you know, if anything, he'd be giving up football. So Musket's going to have a chance you know, through the spring to get plenty of reps and watching his film, look, FCS or not, you know, I, I don't get, you know, I've seen some people complaining because, you know, a certain school got a former Baylor 
commit who hasn't played basically at all. Who was a higher rated commit out of high school. The weapon but, uh, bowl drones versus muskets. <laughs> yeah. Drone versus musket. Right. Um, but you know, I think Justin nailed it. Musket's got a great arm. You know, he's athletic. He's played in a system very similar to what we, what, you know, Tonian does or want to run. Um, and he does have swagger and like, I think he's got all the tools now. Can he come in and, you know, adjust to a new system, play at a new level? We'll see, but that's, that's the case with every quarterback who is not a proven power five starter. And as we saw last year, systems matter, right? So you, you can't say every quarterback can fit in any system. If he's, you know, systems, systems do matter. So I like the guy a lot and, soon as i saw his film um the monmouth thing i didn't even think about it again i was like well good maybe other people won't look at him because of monmouth but you know he had a missouri offer and a couple others he literally but, got that missouri offer like as soon as we said that we were like yeah. oh monmouth interesting and then it was like missouri it's like well i guess he's good then <laughs> yeah yeah i mean his film is good and um i mean he looks i think i can't remember if i told both of you or just you justin but he reminds me of Remember when Ben Kerr got here and we started going to look at his high school film because they were talking about him in a dual threat. He looks like he's got some of the mannerisms and stuff and the build of, of Kurt Ben Kurt before he went to ECU and got hurt. Um, and lost he does that. the he does the same thing Ben Kurt used to do where he can bail out of the pocket like to his yeah. left and still mm-hmm. and still get velocity on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm excited. I think he could be QB one for sure. Um, especially you give him all spring and, you know, he seems to have a big, you know, good relationship with Taylor lamb already. Um, we can argue how that relationship was with BA and Taylor, uh, last year. Um, and he seems excited to be here. So look, I'm excited to see how it's going to work. And I think if you don't take another quarterback and, you know, if Jay's leaving, I think maybe you got to look regardless. Um, but if Jay is planning on doing what he did last year and wants to, you know, it's okay trying to earn QB one and just fall camp. I think you're set. Yeah. I mean, my only thing I wanted to add, my only thing I wanted to add to that was like, I don't know that you get musket if you're not telling him that he's going to at least have like a good chance to start. Um, like maybe he wants to come and compete, but if you're like, we're going to, we're still going to go out and get DJU or whatever. I don't know that like, you know what I mean? I don't know that he would be like, yeah, let me, let me commit here. Cause he can go start, you know, for like whoever, like Troy or whatever, if he really wants to play somewhere. Um, yeah. And you, let's, I mean, I think we, you have to realize, you know, Musket's coming in in January. Yeah. I think that's he a gets huge here and he's not good. There's another transfer portal window. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can always revisit this in the fall if you, you know, in a pinch, but I think, you know, the film doesn't lie very often. I think one thing that is interesting about the, like, this specific transfer, you know, um, I was going to say decision, and then I thought transaction, which necessarily neither are the word I'm looking for. This specific development, right? The, taking taking him, it's it, it it's not the same as taking Benker or Bryce Perkins, right? Those are talented kids who you had not really seen a whole lot of, and you were going largely on potential. Right. A lot of leap of faith. Yeah, exactly. You were taking you were this was a lot of potential. Now, granted, Monmouth is not, you know, it's not an ACC school, such and such and such, right? But the bottom line is is that you've seen the kid. You know what you're getting. Um and and so 
I look at it from the standpoint of I would much rather have a guy who has played the game, who has experience, who understands it. You know, fit matters, as you guys are saying, right? And we certainly know that better than anybody in terms of watching Armstrong in an offense that didn't fit him um, or he didn't fit. And it makes sense to me to be somewhat cautious because you you haven't seen the musket kid in this one either, right? But if if your your choices are a guy who has been out there uh, and played and has you know the experience of going not just through a whole season but the off season and going back into the season and then going into the off season, like there's a lot that goes into improving your game that doesn't necessarily get um, publicized, right? And it's those little things that are going to matter um, exponentially. So, and so a guy who hasn't been in the um, hasn't been in games has just been waiting for his turn, or you know, didn't work out. He needs a a clean slate, you know, a fresh start. That's not. There's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of what you can expect from it, you know, one is a lot more likely, right, than the other. And so I think Virginia's in a good spot to get a kid with that level of experience. Um, I think the other thing I want to talk about on the football side before we switch gears, you know, I think that we have talked a lot over the last few months about sort of the, the angst of the fan base and um, the level of sort of um, frustration that we were already seeing with the way, you know, Tony and his folks did things or the way that they didn't do certain other things. And how quickly it felt like, you know, even in, in their first year, um, you know, a lot of folks were kind of out on him, right? How it sounded like a lot of folks were just sort of like that it already sort of made their mind up. And the only thing that changes that opinion, right, is wins. I mean, ask Louisville basketball fans tonight, right? Because Kenny Payne ain't exactly having the best start. Uh, and he was and he came in with a lot of lofty expectations, Um now that's not to say Tony didn't. He, I think he did to some extent. His his experience at Clemson certainly sort of set the the tone and set the table. And Lord knows, um, you know, he he doesn't shy away from you know talking about um, how much those experiences matter to him. Um, but I think that in the in the big scheme of things, certainly the last few months and everything that went on, um, you know, outside of football, uh, have impacted the way people um, see things. And I'm just curious if you, if you guys are feeling like the, 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 like the, that, 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 that train is exactly in the same station. Um, do you feel it's more precariously balanced at this point? Like, how are we feeling about the whole deal? Um, cause I'll be honest, like, you know, part of the, you know, the, the thought process behind that column I wrote is that like, there are no, there are very few at least, um, absolutes right this is because of that right um and i look at all of the decisions that have been made over the last week and certainly things that are um that have been made over you know the season and such and for me i I think you can make an argument that what virginia is going through right now is essentially like the afterbirth of a very odd coaching change and the, the product of like when certain things just don't mix right now, I don't, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to, um, give up any confidences here other than to say that I think it's fair to, that to, to, to frame it this way. I think that the younger guys have had a much easier time accepting the, the scheme changes and the, 
culture changes and stuff that maybe some of the older dudes did. Um, and that's probably on some level natural, right? Old dudes have been through it. They've seen it. You know, they had it, they had a, they had one culture that was working for them or whatever. And then it just all of a sudden abruptly changed younger kids. It's not quite the same. It's, you could look at that defense and see that this season that a lot of, a lot of good was coming from it, right? Like a lot of dudes were clearly, you know, catching on in, in the right ways that it was resonating with people. I mean, central Cypress is in the portal and has the opportunities in front of him right now because he, you know, they were able to take a dude who couldn't really see the field all that much under the previous staff and really, you know, help him develop into something, you know, pretty special. Um, so I just I don't know I'm just I'm just trying to get your your, your sense of where we are um, ahead of signing day um, ahead of the change of the end of the formal end of 2022 and the um, you know the full off season ahead um, between you know before leading into spring ball um, Dave let's start with you what what's your general um, how would you frame it um, in terms of where you think things are right now It's weird like I. I feel less optimistic than last year, obviously at this time with a new coach coming on board, but, um, and obviously, I mean, I don't think you can separate how we feel now versus, you know, from how the season ended and why it ended the way it did. Um, and that, that's going to have a lasting impact on the program moving forward, regardless, um, of what the record was on the field. But I think, you know, we have to, you know, things seem kind of bleak, um, even outside the tragedy with, you know, you know, the record Virginia had, the way they lost some of the games, the way the offense that you thought was going to be good looked all year. Um, but I, I mean, I think we have to remember what it felt like at the end of Broncos first year. Now you can say, Hey, we had a weird coaching change and maybe that's why it feels weird. Well, the Bronco coaching change wasn't as weird. It was a out of the blue hire, but you had your normal fans over the old coach. And now there's a new coach coming build up and they still laid an egg year one. Um, the same calls we're seeing for Des Kitching's heads now we're coming for Robert and I, you know, uh, you know, there's receipts to prove it. Same people, <laughs> the same thing. Um, so I, mean, I think you've got to, you've got to hope that, you know, Tony in his first year as a head coach has learned from mistakes he made, um, is willing to admit he made mistakes, uh, would also be important. You know, and the same way Bronco had to realize, hey, I'm not at BYU anymore. Things are different. If Tony can't do that and the staff can't do that, then I think we'll know pretty quickly. Um, the thing they've got kind of holding over their heads is a very tough schedule. So, I I don't know. Like, I mean, we all hear the same things. There's, I think you kind of nailed it. It seems like the guys who didn't have a big role in the Bronco program are a little more into the new staff than the guys who did. Um, and there's now there's less guys who were a part of the Broncos staff. So that angle should be a little better this year, but you know, it's very likely Virginia is going to start, I don't know, one and two, one and <laughs> oh, and three, um, you know, two and one would be a really good start. If they happen to start oh, and three, can he keep it together then? Same question to you for what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Dave said. Um, I kind of, like, as he was talking, I was like, there's really three scenarios here, right? First is Dave's scenario, basically, like, the optimistic view that, you know, it's a first-year head coach, first-time head coach. 
there was a lot of like turmoil sort of stuff going on. There were a lot of advantages too. I mean, you rarely have a quarterback that returns that threw for 4,500 yards. I mean, that's something worth noting, but um, anyway, you know, a lot of change and um, ultimately it was a coach that, you know, maybe made some mistakes and kind of like learned on the job and, you know, the, the new staff kind of learning how to work together and players that didn't know them and scheme changes and, it was all just a little too much, too fast. And, you know, we'll see. And then, you know, that kind of breaks off into two possible scenarios. One, you know, you learn from those mistakes. You get a group of players that are maybe more receptive or more in or whatever you want to call it, or just kind of like the things that you're teaching kind of sink in better, whatever it is, you get better. Second scenario is um, the same, but it doesn't get better, basically. Like, you know, um, you know, it just, they, the, the mistakes aren't learned from, uh, they're not maybe seen as mistakes, you know, they're, they're just things continue. We're going to do it this way and it's going to work. And then it just doesn't work. You know, Dave mentioned the schedule, you know, that's certainly a factor. I think even with the schedule, I think we'll know if they're better. Um, like just, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think we'll like, if they move the ball, like that's a start, um, the third scenario is, and it's the ultimate like optimist view, and I probably wouldn't take it, um, is that Tony is trying to do a complete culture reset, whether that was necessary or not, because that's what he feels like he needs to do to kind of like set his program straight um, going forward. And that requires you to sort of like do almost what Bronco did in year one, even though I don't even think Bronco meant to do this, which is like take two steps back to take a bunch of steps forward. And we're going to look back in two or three years and be like that season was him breaking the eggs to make the omelet, you know? And ultimately it's like kind of trying to, I don't want to say like purge your program because like Nick Jackson, you don't need to purge Nick, Nick Jackson from your program. Right. Um, but like almost sort of like hit the reset button, it like hard and, and kind of go from there and then figure out like who wants to be here and all that stuff. And then we look back and say like, Oh, like, you know, he knew what he was doing. It just took time on the recruiting front and all these other things. Um, I don't think I would like take that view, but there are examples of that being the case. Um, you know, we've also seen coaches like have a good start and then it falls apart, you know? So like that, it's true in reverse. I would say if I had to pick one of those scenarios, it's somewhere between A and B um, just because look, I mean, my concern is the football was bad on the offensive side of the ball. The football was disorganized on the, on the offensive side of the ball and special teams, special teams were largely bad. Um, there weren't a lot of in-season improvements. The defense was solid. Um, you know, they had a good season, uh, certainly better than I thought they would be. So, like, no complaints there. Um, but they might have just nailed that coach, um, you know, the defensive coordinator. So that stuff is a problem, right? And, yeah, obviously they had to deal with a lot of stuff at the end of the season that was nobody's fault. But um, before that, you know, recruiting has not been that good. Messaging has been up and down, you know, from the program. I mean, like, I, I feel like the fans are more out than in. Um, there's not a lot of like buzz and I don't want to put that all on the coaches because your job is necessarily cr to create buzz. Your job is to go out and win, but it's undeniable that it's not there. Um, and yeah, I mean, like if you look at Tony's been here a year, like 
outside of the things that are sort of like more serious than football, like what exactly has gone well, like the defense and, and maybe like there's some stuff behind the scenes that's going well, but we can't talk about that here. Cause we don't know about it. You know what I mean? Like we don't know about like the relationships between the staff and the players. Maybe they're really good and we just don't know, but um, you know, I am very kind of like, I don't want to say skeptical, but I'm very like I'm watching to see how this goes over the next few months, because I think we'll start to see in the off season if, if this was a blip or if there's like disorganization here, because that's what it feels like to me is like, it feels like a, a program that's sort of teetering, you know, like they're trying to do the right thing. And like, I think they have some good people in place, but I think ultimately I'm not seeing the, you know, it just feels kind of all over the place and I'm not really seeing the um, design that we saw with the previous staff where it's like, even when they were wrong, I kind of understood what was happening. This is just feels like there's like a lot, it's like too much too fast. And and that's kind of where I think it is. And that's either going to change or it's not. So that's kind of where I am. Sorry not to be a downer. No, 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 you're good. Not terribly long before UVA won the coastal division, went to the orange bowl. They were subbing in quarterbacks in Blacksburg. They were sending different plays with different quarterbacks on um, every other play. Okay. Yeah, and things I, can change. And that's my point, right? To your, you were just talking a second ago about, you know, the previous staff. That first season, all right, Bronco set the expectation, whether he intended to before he said what he said that night about not being home for the holidays or whatever. Um, but the expectation was set that the thing was going to work from the beginning. All right. And it, it didn't. They learned a lot. Um, he admitted, you know, shortly thereafter that, that he coached that year, like it was BYU 11 and not UVA one. And in some ways, I think Tony is still in the, in the, possibly in the, in the place where, you know, he's, he's still coaching this, like, um, he's going to have him run down the hill. Is that what you're right. saying? Like he's got, he's got <laughs> like a, he, he, like, he's got a lot of the Clemson mojo, the Clemson wind at his back. Right. And I, I, I would like to think that he has discovered at this point that that's not the way it is and that the program he has is the one that he has to be able to 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 push forward um i think that there were definitely older guys um who who felt to me like it didn't it wasn't working for them and the younger guys that you know it seems to be working you know more um consistently for right so maybe he starts to get his own guys in there and, and it's not quite as disjointed. It's very odd to me that things can be so good on the defensive side where you can just point to numerous examples of guys who who had who looked tangibly better, right? Dudes who clearly were um were due to who have who are taking steps forward and you can see the, the progress right through the season, even games to game. Right. Um, I feel like on some level um, it's hard, it's hard for me to fathom how that can be going to right, but also, it, you know, you, you can't have fruit from a poison tree. Right. And so if for some reason the whole thing's not going to work, it's really weird to me that that is working and working well. Um, so I I, I, I I understand where you're coming from on it. I, the reason I, I'm not quite to that point is because we have seen teams, programs, coaches, coordinators 
turn things around fairly quickly without you know without having but so much of a catalyst right the right dude in the right place the right mix of um of experience i mean i think that and this is not you know we didn't really get to do, you know necessarily have um that sort of you know end of season conversation because of the way virginia's season ended but i think as i look back on the season that that was one of the things that that i think you know, really tripped them up is that the staff went into the off season, you know, once, once the staff was completed, they went into everything expecting the offense would be one thing. And they just frankly were not, um, that kind of miss is really hard to gloss over. And it's hard to really wrap your arms around because they expected it to be very different. And I think you could even make the argument that Tony made some decisions on his coaching staff based in large part, you know, on that assumption. Um, and so, yeah, um, you know, there's a lot there. Dave, we'll let you have the last word on the football side before we wrap up. Um, but I'm just curious, um, you know, get your thoughts on some of the things we've been discussing here the last few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I don't, don't have a whole lot to add. I just think, you know, the next, what, signing day is the 21st. Is that right? Um, uh, yeah, it's next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Like, obviously, between – between now and then, um, quite a bit can happen. And I think the filling of this, what they do with this open coaching spot will tell us a lot about a lot of things. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that I can predict what it'll tell us yet. Right. Um, you know, there's a chance that they, we were kind of talking about it on the text thread today. Um, you know, there's a chance that, you know, they decide that between, um, the GA and and the offensive analyst, you know, analysts, they've got, they're comfortable with those guys ha handling the offensive line, kind of like Virginia's done for the defensive line in the past and the offensive line in the past. And they go fill that open position with someone else um, to help another, you know, to help another um, unit or to kind of be more of, you know, someone more of a dynamic recruiter, recruiter, or they just promote internally. So, it just feels like if they were going to promote internally, they could have done that on Monday, right? Like yeah, exactly. Like and then, done. Like, yeah. And maybe that, maybe it has been done. We just don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's, that would be weird. Cause then just get that guy on the road. That's what I mean. Like that it's not, yeah. it's a layup. Just do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause you're <laughs> clearly the whole staff was out and you're out without a guy. Um, So we'll see. I mean, you know, and then obviously, you know, Virginia still got quite a few offers off in, out in the transfer portal and, uh, every day more people enter and so yeah not not a whole lot to add what you guys said but i am very interested to kind of to see what happens with this open position um and i get hopefully next week on the podcast kind of discuss what it means yeah just one thing real quick too like i've seen some people asking about like does uva have the money to go get an offensive line coach did they have the money to go get like the offensive line coach from alabama no you know what I mean? <laughs> they don't, but they do have the money that two J was making. So like, that's a yeah. decent amount. So it's not like they don't have the money to get anybody and they have to hire a GA. If they do that, that's a choice. So I'm not going to, you know, take that as an excuse, right? Like you, you have two J salary you can use on somebody else. Yeah. And his salary is top half of the ACC. Right. Yeah. I mean, he I kinda, and he got that. And again, with the recruiting coordinator thing, I'm not, and I don't know all the ins and outs of how UVA does it, but a lot of times guys get that as like a pay bump. It's like, 
here's another thing we can put on your resume and then we can give you more money because you do this other job. Like it doesn't necessarily mean he's like, all right, I'm going to go coach the offensive line. Then I'm going to go back to my office and like get my recruiting spreadsheet out. And like, they have a whole team of people that do that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just one more thing. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's the show. No basketball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we're talking like everything is done. Like there's still coaching moves happening every day. So the possibility exists. Virginia loses a coach. I, this is not on any knowledge. This is just, it's happening. There's pieces moving every day. Um, and then same with the transfer portal, like, you know, that's open for another 50 days. So a lot can happen between now and then. All right. Let's talk about the, uh, the basketball team, the basketball games, everything that is to come in the next few days. Obviously Virginia hosting a pretty big one Saturday afternoon with Houston coming to town. We don't know the status of Reese Beekman, um, sort of where he is with, um, his, uh, I mean, gosh, can we call, I mean, it's technically, a. um, I mean, he had the he had the um, the hamstring taped, um, but it was still the the leg, right? So let's just let's just call it injury because um, it seems like he's ailing from a, a lot of different things. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's very hard to see Virginia winning this game, Ferber, without him playing or at least playing some meaningful role. Um, that being said, I will say that man, Ryan Dunn, you know. That kid could uh, could surprise us um, if given the you know the opportunity, even though it's early. What's your general vibe for how you think this thing is going to go down? Um, is Reese Beekman playing? Well, I mean, well, let's <laughs> let, all right, let's let's assume for this conversation that he plays. He's not one hundred percent, but he does. He's play. hobbling like he was, but he's playing. All right, but he's able to play. So, like, he, you know, he's not in and out of the game. You know, he's able to play. He's just not up to full strength. Sure. I mean, I think I think this is a game that UVA can win on the defensive end. I think that's where they would have to win it in some ways because Houston plays a lot of games that are like 54 to 50. Like they're comfortable playing that way. And UVA is like, if you get into a game like that, you can win because all you need is 55 points or whatever. Um, I, I think it's going to be a matchup game. Houston pre- presents a lot of challenges. Obviously, they have a lot of experience. Um and they just have like physical guards that could kind of like get out and like really pressure you on defense and they can, and they can score um, Sasser, especially, I mean, is a fantastic player. So um, it's going to be a challenging game. I think last year's team couldn't have been set up worse to play Houston. I think this team is a little bit better set up for that. I think you need Beekman um, at least out there. I mean, like if you don't have him in win that that's really impressive. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to say they can't win without Beekman, but I would say like big picture, I think it's sort of like a 50-50 if Beekman plays and isn't a hundred percent. Maybe a little bit towards Houston if if just imagining that like, you know, he's not a hundred percent Beekman. If he doesn't play, I would I would say it's probably like 80-20 Houston, just because like you need some Sasser is the guy that you're going to have to like have somebody on. And you mentioned Ryan Dunn, but that's just a big task for a freshman. Right. And Sasser's a quicker guard. I mean, Beekman's basically designed to guard somebody like that. Um, and you know, he gets to the rim a lot. That's where maybe Dunn could help out is just, you know, like Sasser likes to get in the lane and score. Um, you know, that's potentially a, a matchup that he could do. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, if like Beekman doesn't play or can't play a lot, it's really going to come down on the offensive end probably to like what they get from Isaac McNeely 
um, and Vanderplas and guys like that because, you know, the shooting was really good early and then it kind of tailed off. I think in a game like this, you might be able to get away with like average shooting if the game's like, you know, 57, 54. Um, but you're going to need to make timely shots and you can't go like long periods of time without scoring. So I'm expecting it to be like a, a good low scoring game as opposed to like an ugly low scoring game where it's like just really good defense and some really hard fought possessions. And ultimately I think the the result is like very much up in the air if Beekman plays and if not, they can still win, but it's going to be tough. Dave, before I kick this over to you, I, I want to mention that. So one of the reasons that I sort of pose this thing the way it did, because I Ferber's point about the early season three point shooting, I think I, I don't want to go so far as to say that's the, that's the crux of the game here, but I do think that that is a significant situation. It feels like to me, especially if, if Beekman is, you know, I don't know, less than 60, 50, whatever percent. And he, you know, he's not really able to be himself. And so Tony's having to, you know, move some chess pieces around to try to cover that up. But I, I just feel like Virginia's got really got to hit the long ball in this game. I, I don't know. I can't really put a finger on like why that's just like my feeling, like my vibe, because like, I don't know, man, like the team that we saw earlier in the season that was hitting that three ball, that's a very different one, you know, and I, and I realize for folks who watched the last couple of games, that's not going to seem like news, right? Um, you know, in that JMU game, you know, Virginia wins it 55-50. I mean, man, that's a, you know, that's a game where a handful of shots here or there make a significant difference, right? Um, you know, Virginia was what? Uh, five of 21 from deep in that game. 23.8%. Um, I mean, they were shooting like twice that well. And in a game like that, you know, a couple of threes here or there, um, you know, as we've said before about past Virginia teams, it felt like to me after, I mean, they didn't really necessarily shoot a good uh, in Ann Arbor either, I guess. Um, yeah, well, technically they were four of eight, but they didn't really look for it. Yeah, they didn't. They just didn't need it. Yeah, I, I just feel like I feel like this. The the there have been times since earlier in the season where it just kind of felt like the older Virginia offense that couldn't necessarily score as well, and you just felt like, man, if they could make a three, they'd be like a completely different team. Um, I, I feel like in this game, Dave, man, Armand Franklin really has to shine. Um, and I understand that like this is a you know. So this is a very good Houston team, especially considering the situation, com you know, coming in like they are. Um, I don't know what what's your what's your sense? How you feeling about it? Oh, I mean, yeah, Beekman's important, right? <laughs> Nothing's more important than what Beekman does. Um, not only because of what he brings you defensively, but I think you know, with Beekman, you can drive the ball better, but you also get better three point um, three point looks. Uh, we saw that against when he was out against JMU. But yeah, Franklin's huge too. Um, and honestly, like not to not to kind of put it on someone else, but the officiating is important. Yeah, it's going I to was be a physical say that game in this game specifically. It's going to be very important. Yeah, and knowing how Tony is, and let's assume Beekman's out, right? Um, Ma'am, not based on anything, but just for the sake of this discussion, um, if Beekman doesn't play, you know, your backcourt's essentially McNeely, Franklin, and, and Kihei because even Coleman has a busted up hand, you know, unless that's changed. That's the last time we saw him in public. Um, so that's not a lot of depth, and Houston's going to dribble drive a lot. I know the pack line's designed to stop that, but if you get a ticky-tack foul here or there as much as they drive and you've got to sit those guys, like, then you got run into some issues real quick. Um, 
because that big lineup we saw, okay, who, I can't remember which game that was, maybe Florida State um, with like BVP, Jaden, and Shedrick. Um, I don't think you can do that against Houston. Uh, they, <laughs> they'll just take them to the – They're going to spread you out the and drive. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think Franklin's going to be immensely important um, with or without Beekman just because he's that other guy that can – I think has the physicality and, you know, the, the ability to defend – um, and the toughness and and experience to kind of play through contact. Um, I do, you know, obviously making three-point shots is going to be big for both teams because, you know, Houston really not going to scare you from three, but as good as they are defensively, anytime they hit a three, um, it's going to take you a little while to earn it back. So, like, it's going to be a <laughs> – it's going to be a war, man. Um Honestly, Houston is kind of what I thought Baylor was going to be uh, this year, which is, you know, it's very much like the Florida State teams that have always given Virginia trouble. Uh, if you get that many athletes who can dribble and, and defend and have length like that, they can be very, you know, a very tough matchup, especially if you're shorthanded. So, you know, if Beekman's back to 100%, I like Virginia's chances just because they're at home, and I think that gives you multiple ways to, uh, you know, kind of figure out how to score and how to defend while you go through your rotation. But, you know, if, if Beekman's, even if Beekman is you know, only able to give you a few minutes, like you've got to get really creative with how to match up against Houston. So yeah, I think the to, officiating thing is nice. It's nice to be at home. Like, that's yeah, the one for sure. Say about yeah. That. To put this thing in context for folks who maybe aren't aware. So Houston right now, number two in Ken Palm, um, the number two defense nationally, the number 29 offense, in terms of efficiency, or excuse me, adjusted efficiency, um, and and I think that when you when you think of Houston, like we're we're talking about like you know the way they'll drive you. Listen, that defense is legit, um, and I mean, I guess it's a good thing that Virginia wasn't the first team to play them after they lost um, to Alabama. But man, let me look. Virginia's offense had two games. Granted, one of them was against Monmouth. Man, Monmouth just popping up everywhere. Um, where they. You know, the Cavaliers scored 89, 86 points. In the last two games, they've scored 107 combined. Okay? That, that's not good. Now, I understand that one of those two games was against Monmouth. All right? One of these two games was against 139th best Florida State and number 76 James Madison. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly like these were, you know, the 96 Bulls or whatever. Also, um, shout out to the UVA fans who, like, didn't complain about not being number one because I was anticipating that. Yeah, we had we had some folks who thought that that would be kind of a topic for us. I mean, honestly, like if you look at it, like Virginia, if Virginia had played one of those two games better, right? If in one if of those they two just games, blew out JMU, or yeah, if Florida they State, if they yeah. won, you know, one of those two games by 20, 18, 20, and you know looked good in the process, or Beekman wasn't hurt, you know, I think that that's a you know you can't you can't just wipe that away because you know some stuff you did a month ago. Um, also, you know, Baylor since Virginia won that game. You know, they also have lost to Marquette um, and not in a good way, right? Like, it yeah. wasn't like that thing was close. I mean, they won, They lost by 26. They lost another game, too, I think. Um, didn't they? No, they they're, curr they're, they're currently 7-2. and two. Illinois and then, lost. And then Illinois has lost. And Illinois then Illinois, right, State exactly. At home. Yeah, Illinois so at like this point lost one. to Maryland by 5 <laughs> at Maryland. And then they lost to Penn State at home by uh, 15. By, uh, yeah, by 15. But they beat um, number one. 
And, and it's know. still it's still impressive that UVA beat all those teams and didn't lose to any of them, but, you know, yeah, yeah. Michigan included. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they they, I'm not saying they could you know could have or even should have like lost to JMU or, or Florida State. The Florida State game they had and they just kind of like let it get close. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you look at that on paper, like those teams, like Florida State is like two and ten or something yeah. like that, and JMU is is decent but they're jmu like you know it's they're not gonna you're not gonna get like a bunch of plaudits for beating them by five at home i thought Um, someone made a good point on twitter i was trying to find out where you guys were talking but uh, i can't but um so whoever you are a good point that (laughs) whoever you are a good point you know obviously like not all the voters are looking at the metrics you know they're kind of that's why you have a poll and that's why you have metrics they're different things um but their point was like you know if someone's voting you number two or three they don't look at you the same way they do as one you know, that's, they're going to do a little more research when you, <laughs> yeah, it's like, who's so, the best team. And then you oh. kind of fill in from there. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. So, and I think that's true. Cause I mean, Virginia is certainly a top five team right now with, with their record. Um, I thought Virginia might end up three. Cause to me, I think Purdue and UConn are the best two teams. in the Yeah. Country. I mean, like, I think I thought UConn would be number one. And like, if you look at UConn compared to UVA, like side by side, especially if you take into recency, like UConn's been better. Like there's no doubt. They're just blowing people out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even though they're Virginia more efficient. Right. If, if you, UVA fans love efficiency, like, um, but well, I you know, will it's say obvious- real quick that on the, on the UConn thing, Ferber, like you could really make an argument. I think that UConn and, and Purdue should have been one and two, but when you really start looking at the resumes of who UConn has played, like the names look good, but the records aren't as good. Exactly. Yeah. The, like the, Florida's the not na- very good. Yeah, exactly. Like Florida, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, Alabama, Oregon, those sound like good games. But, like, those teams I just mentioned, in, in using Kimbaum here, 55, 36, 46, 10, 38, right? Purdue, on the other hand, like, if you take, like, let's take, like, their three wins. I was just looking at this while you guys were talking. Like, UVA's best three wins, you you put those teams together, their rankings combined is, like, 80-something, right? Florida State beat number 12 in Kimpom, Gonzaga, number 13, Duke, number 23, West Virginia, number 31, Marquette. Like, that's a that's a group that yeah. has done and a lot of those were away from home, right? Connecticut's best three wins are Alabama, who is 10, um, Oklahoma State, which is 36, and Oregon, which is 38. So one top 10 Ken Palm win, but they've also feasted on 331, 245, 360, and 353. So, like, yeah, they're beating the snot out of people, but who they're beating the snot out of doesn't necessarily kind of compare, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I Purdue think- definitely has the best resume, um, Yeah, I would yeah. say. And what's funny is, you know, UVA beginning of the season was, what, 18, 19, somewhere down in there in the top 25 and that where they started? Yeah, I think I think they were like 18th or something. Yeah. But they were top five in Kempom, maybe even number three, if I remember correctly. And now they're number two in the country and number nine in Kempom. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's just funny changes. how that works out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, Houston to me is a team that, like I said, I think they're going to have to hit some threes. I feel like they're going to have to – um, you know, they're going to have to play the Sasser kid. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to just like, he's, he's, he's a, you know, national player of the year type of guy um, for a reason. Right. What I find so interesting about them though, is that they're, they're front, they're fr- they're five, right? Six, one, six, two, six, five, six, seven, six, eight. Um, I would love to see a scenario where Virginia tried to use its length in the post as like an advantage. Um, we, we all know that's not going to happen because once the back line <laughs> starts giving up dribble drives, <laughs> you know, that that's going to change. I was sitting here and I was thinking to myself, so what do you do? Right. Um, 
you don't have, you know, you can't really put Kihei on Sasser, right? So you're going to have to ask Franklin to do it. Um, this could be a really interesting place, though, for Ryan Dunn because, you know, he actually gives them some length and, and, and you know, again, it's a tall ask. But you know what? Hey, man, go out there and... <laughs> Go out there and this see game, I mean, like this game is like a nice game to win, but like let's be honest, it doesn't really matter that much. That's in very the grand true. It matters in the moment. That's a really good. It's point. a good it win if you a lot. get it, but if yeah. you lose, you lose. It's not a big House deal. Money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of in the clubhouse under par. Or, or that's a terrible analogy. That you wouldn't be in the clubhouse if you're still playing. But you know what I mean. Like they're on the back nine under par, <laughs> and so I it's like really, yeah. you, you have a chance to go further under par. But if you lose, if you miss, it's fine. You know, like it's okay. Yeah, I'll be upset. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dunn get some run at, at the five this week, you know, against Houston, especially especially if Shedrick's in foul trouble or Reese, you know, you could go theoretically if Reese is back, you go Kihei Reese or Armand Jaden and, and Ryan yeah. Dunn against their size and and match them athletically. Yeah, um, that's true. And he's shown he's shown he has a little more scrap in him to play those um, you know, against like, you know, bigger forwards, you know. Um, he's a, he, he is, you know, we all joked about Jay Huff was a unicorn when you have a dude who has his size and can play defensively and also have his ball skills. Like, and, and I don't know if this is blasphemy or whatever, but like early in Dre's career, he was not quite as fluid of an athlete, right? Like he had it in there, but he wasn't quite as fluid. Like it, you know, his, he didn't, he didn't have as fluid of hips. You know what I mean? Like Dunn is a very graceful runner. Um, a very you know he moves really well. He can stop quickly. He's a, he's agile. In, in from a from a strictly just a athleticism fluidity standpoint, right? He's a I feel like he's a more gifted athlete at this point. Dre I think did a great job of being able to really put it together in terms of um, not just like using the 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 length and the and the um, athleticism, but then pairing that with you know he that dude could move his feet and he could get where he needed to be and he was good at you know, using all of the tools he has right now, Dunn's big thing is that he's, he's athletic and he's long and he's very, he's very good at being exactly those two things. The question is, can he use that to stop somebody? Can he really shut somebody's water off? Yeah. I mean, I think the things I'm, I'm concerned with, with a few of the players, Dunn, Shedrick, uh, even Reese and Kihei is they're, you know, they're capable defenders. And they're, you know, physically gifted, you know, KA, you know, not, maybe not as much, but You've got a lot um, of heart. Houston is, uh, there's some grown men, right? Yeah. They're physical and, uh, as hell, man. They're yeah, physical so, as hell. It's kind of good yeah. that they played Baylor already. Cause there are some similarities there in terms of like what they like to do with their guards and yeah. stuff like that. Um, Houston's an interesting team to play too, because like a lot of the teams UVA has played, the better teams have like a seven footer and they yeah. kind of like, and they kind of anchor their. And this team, this is kind of what Houston does. Like they play like a six eight guy at the five, and yeah. they just they and it allows them to like switch stuff and you know do all kinds of different things. Um, kind of like how Florida State plays. Yeah, um, I mean, Virginia's played some teams that have you know defended them that's what that way this year. So that is nice. Yeah, and honestly, um, JMU's kind of like a comparison. I mean, it's obviously yeah. very different in terms of talent, Florida but they kind of had a similar team where it was like a six eight guy that could move around in the yeah. posts. Yeah. Well, and the thing about Baylor too is that they played the the Thamba kid played like you know, mm-hmm. 27 minutes or something, right? Yeah, because that was a Shedrick game where he was actually like kind of doing stuff. Yeah. Um yeah. And I mean <laughs> Look, if if Shedrick plays, I need to see how many minutes Shedrick played in this game. Um, if Shedrick plays, you know, thirty-two minutes um, against um, Houston, 
that's either really, really, really good or real bad. You know, like there's no like there's no like happy medium. Like if he if he plays that many minutes, that's either an incredible sign for Virginia or just an absolutely like terrible sign. There is no middle ground. Well, that's where like Dave's point about the officiating is kind of that's very true. Yeah, because like if you can get him in the post and like draw some fouls. You know, like that's a that's a great way to score points, but they got to make the free throws. Oh, the really free, talk yeah. about that. Whew, dude, the free throw situation is, oh gosh, it's desperately. You bad. just have to hope it's just an outlier. I guarantee you, they like they've shot a thousand free throws a day for the. They last were twelve. Six. They were twelve of nineteen against Michigan. They come around to JMU and they are twelve of twenty four. Which I mean, I understand that that doesn't sound like a big deal, but twelve points. They, it know, could have cost them both of those games too, because both of those games really have. came down to the last like couple possessions it really could have it really could have it was very and i mean like what was funny is it was like, it was like everybody it was like nobody was shooting it well like if you look yeah, at the when kihei's missing both you're like okay kihei like, was six of 12 by himself right yeah uh jaden was four of eight uh vanderplas was one of two and mcneely was one of two so nobody shot better than 50 percent at the line yeah i think jaden's probably the you know the one who's dropped off the most this year i think we talked about that but um and Kihei, like he didn't shoot it well against GMU, but he also he was playing two to guard spots. You know, <laughs> I'm not worried about out, it. So. Honestly, like the free throw tired. shooting thing will work itself out. Like I'm not. I mean, if you can make jump shots, you can make free throws. I mean, James well, the, the one I'm worried about. He's got to get back to his form from last year because he's he's going to get free throws um, on the season. Kihei, Kihei is uh, 28 to 39. He's shooting 72 percent right now. Jaden Gardner 23 to 38 at 60 percent. To put that yeah, 60%. I think he was like almost 80 last year, right? Yeah, yeah last year he was uh, 70. All right, let me see. Sorry, uh, I messed that up. Last year he was uh, 96 of 121 for 79.3. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and Tony did say after the JMU game that he he kind of blames some of it on fatigue. And, um, and I mean, to, to put the Jaden thing in even more perspective, in conference games, he was 58 of 68. He was... He was number seven nationally in, in free throw percentage uh, at 85.3 in conference-only games. Sorry, Which is a huge asset to have for a player like that that gets to the line a lot and is like a physical player. Yeah. Um, I think Kihei shot better than that. Well, hold on. Ki- let, me, let me tell you what he Kihei shot. Kihei at, at one point was like in the 90s. Yeah. Kihei last season was uh, 61 of 78 at 78.2. It's kind of a small sample size, feels like. Yeah. Uh, for a guy that plays his, so much. His his rookie year was his actually best shooting year. He was eighty seven point six that year, seventy eight of eighty nine. Mm-hmm. The next year he was forty seven of sixty four, seventy three point four. So he's, had he's stats he, back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back yeah, in the they were they had days. to write them down on paper. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know what I just did? I saw four seasons on Kimpom and didn't even connect with me that the dude has played for five years. So actually, as a freshman, he only uh, let's see, he only went to the line forty title. times. He was eighty-two at point five, but still. So his, his so his sophomore year is when he was eighty-seven point six. I like on the TV broadcast. They're always like, "Kihei Clark's going to hold all the records for like minutes played and games played," and it's like, "Well, yeah, <laughs> he's about to play his fifth year. He started all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Who else would have it?" London Perantis' records are just going out the window. Poor London Parantis. I'm assuming he holds a lot of those. He played. He was like a four year starter. Yeah. How do you do? All right, let's get let's get folks out of here. It's been yeah. We've we've uh, 
We've taken up enough of their morning. We were, we were hanging on. We were hoping they would announce an offensive line coach or something while we were recording. And circle <laughs> Breaking back. news, everybody. All right. If you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And if we're not there, make sure to let me know because we should be. Um, if you're somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check out CavsCorner.com. Uh, I mentioned the column. Um, Ferber had a nice breakdown of the O-line coaching options, um, be they real or imagined. Um, the uh, the Jones kid, three-star defensive end from Tampa that picked UVA. There's a, we got a story up. Tim talking about that and obviously um, one on Musket and his decision to become a Wahoo as well. Um, on the basketball recruiting front, um, Houston's still cranking out the recruiting updates. We got one on um, – the sober kid. And then, uh, we got one coming, um, on this kid from Raleigh, um, here in the next day or so, depending on, uh, when it makes it up to the site. I want to thank my perfect franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And of course, I want to thank Dave and Ferber again graciously of their time as always. I very much appreciate all that you do. So, for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.